FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 385 of the podcast that goes snicked, snicked. I'm your host, Jason Skunk Bear Venable. Yeah, that's me, the old skunk bear. Call that because my farts are so stinky. (laughs) Not even a minute in and you get fart jokes. That's this kind of show, guys. (laughs) Oh man, I don't know. Isn't uh, Sometimes we are, I guess. I don't know. Um, very, uh, <laughs> our humor can be a little elementary or juvenile at times. Um, but yeah, uh, a random flashback episode of, I have a veritable stack of comics sitting next to me. Oh, about a whole index finger high, <laughs> um, of comics that, that we'll be looking at, um. And it kind of, it's kind of a buffet of Wolverine kind of cameos, guest spots, what have you, short stories, parts of compilations, and the timing's a little weird, so we're basically going, these books are going to cover anywhere from like the end-ish of 91 and a little bit into 92, and that's going to put us a little bit ahead of our reading uh, in X-Men and Wolverine, which of course we're just now starting to get towards the end of 91 and we're not even really there yet completely in uh in Wolverine and X-Men um but you know it's where it is in the Marvel reading order and also I mean it's such it's kind of it's random it's really random really random and so and most of these are also flashback stories so it doesn't really matter so I figured I'll just knock all these out in one chunk and then um the next several flashback episodes will be almost strictly uh, core title stories. Um, we'll have one exception uh, to that, but the next several episodes will be Wolverine, X-Men, or Marvel Comics Presents in different order. Um, so it'll be a while before we get to any more kind of random guest spots, which, you know, will be coming fast and furious, as they always do in the early to mid-90s. But, um... Yeah, this is kind of a, a slew of them, just kind of all over the place. No real pattern to any of them. Um, and I can see how they'd be hard to fit into continuity because it's just Wolverine just kind of popping in and out of all these different stories. Um, and then the flashbacks, of course, don't, don't matter as much. Flashbacks within a flashback is a riddle wrapped up in an enigma. Or I think that's the other way around, but whatever. Cliches aside... Um, Kind of the thing that, that may break the rule in this episode a little bit, and I talked about this last time, um, got into one of our MCP stories that I decided to uh, spare the wonderful John Wilson, because I didn't... I think in the end, by the time I got through all of it, I liked it a little bit more than I thought I did originally, but it's still not great by any stretch of the imagination, and plus, with no new books and doing so many flashbacks uh, back to back to back, I, I didn't want to 
I don't want to try to, I mean, I would love for him to come on every week, but I don't think that's very realistic to our schedules. Um, and so I wanted to keep in mind on the fact that there's other stories I really wanted to talk to him about. And so I'm going to, I'm going to spare him, um, this, this demon worm thing we're going to get into here shortly. Um, so hopefully you guys don't mind. I, you know, I'm not, I don't know how long this is going to be. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not going to intentionally go really fast. Of course, the caveats to that are whenever I talk by myself, whenever I'm doing the episode by myself, I always talk a little bit faster. Um, I think because <laughs> there's no one responding. <laughs> and so, not that I get bored by any stretch, but just, I don't know, it's just like, okay, well, huh. And just me talking, so I, I kind of build up momentum. And also, um, I don't, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see how much I actually have to say about some or any of these books. But, um, enough preamble, I guess. Um, by the way, I hope everyone is staying safe and well. Um, Texas today, uh, not to timestamp the recording, because uh, I don't know when I'll get this out in the ne- next couple of days following what I'm about to say, but, um, Texas today is starting to open stuff back up. I don't know. I don't know what different states are going to end up doing what. I don't know what impact that's going to have on the comic book business. I, you know, I don't really know. I, I think the important thing is for everyone to stay safe and for us to try to be wise. Um, and that means, you know, a few more weeks without comics, and that's that's fine. So I don't know how much longer we'll be in the uh, the flashback sprint, but um, we're going to keep going for now. And so. The first thing I want to talk about, brought to us by Charleston Chu, is a Marvel Collector's Edition Presents Wolverine number one, or also a flip book Spider-Man number one. Um, then there's four stories in here. Um, I guess let's talk about the non-Wolverine ones first. So, so the the Spider-Man cover by Alan Kupperberg has Spider-Man fighting the eel. Ooh, girl, shock me like an electric eel. Um, yeah, with that electric feel. Um, that's a pretty good cover, all things considered. Um, yeah. And there's our cover by the wonderful Sam Keith, which has a Wolverine... Um, protecting Jubilee from us, the audience, <laughs> maybe, or whoever, whatever bad guys on the other side of the POV. Um, it's a pretty nice cover. It's an all red background, no background material. And then, you know, Sam Keith Wolverine. He's got interesting leg stripes in this version, and in the issue as well, we'll talk about. Um, you know, on the, on the tan or orange or yellow part of his leg, however you interpret the brown and, and orange costume. Um, and it's like, and it's not like rings exactly. It's almost like, like a design in the costume that simulates claw marks, but just two, not Wolverine's three claws. Um, but yeah, there's like an orange, dark orange stripe around his calves. Um, interesting. It looks kind of cool though. Um, and of course, classic Sam Keith. The uh, the fins on the cow are tattered, and and crumbling unraveling, um, and then Jubilee looks, uh, terrified in the background, she's, I can't tell if Wolverine's, like, cutting her off, or she's trying to climb over Wolverine, or she's trying to get away, but it's an interesting cover, it's a really good cover, um, 
So yeah, so our story is going to be, um, well, the plot is by Richard Howe, but the script is by Larry Hama, and the art is by Sam Keith, and then the letters are by Ken Lopez, and Joe Rosas does the colors. Um, and this is Give Me a Break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that danger room. Because, um, yeah, that's what's going on. Jubilee and Wolverine have been training in the danger room, and now it's time to clean up. And that's what they're going to do. So they're cleaning up after a danger room sesh. When it goes haywire and a robot attacks them and hijinks ensue. This is a really short story. Um, I mean, it's really quick. And lots of big, nice, nice big art, art panels. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Um, actually, quite fun. Um, the art is delicious, by the way. Um, Sam Keith really rocking it in this. Um, you know, as Wolverine cuts through Danger Room stuff, uh, you know, he gets pummeled by this pier that comes out of the, the floor and is going to hit him into a buzzsaw from the ceiling. And um, there's one thing that, that is weird, especially since Larry Hammer wrote the script, because you can't really blame Richard Howe for this thing in the script, but it talks about... Um, uh, my whole mutant healing factor can knit together these paltry, broken ribs and perforated innards in two shakes. But of course we know Wolverine's ribs are encased in adamantium and cannot break. So, I, you know, I just play, you know, headcanon, he's just exaggerating, right? Oh, that really hurt. <laughs> that really beat the crap out of me. Getting pulverized by that giant stone pillar. Um... You know, so a nitpicky thing, but um, also really interesting like panel border work by Keith. Uh, some of the some of the nice kind of '90s different panels that we see. Um, his Danger Room robot, a sentient Danger Room robot, not to be confused with Danger, it comes later. Uh, looks really just terrifying and creepy and cool. Um, and Wolverine looks great the whole time. He does have his little little leg stripes. Um, there's a part where the robot's going to put him in these metal vices and we see a close-up of his grotesque face. Then he knocks out Jubilee and Wolverine yells as the panel. So it's four horizontal panels, but there's white space. So like the first panel's short, then it gets a little bit longer, then a little bit longer. And the last one's like got jagged, thick lines, like sketchy lines through the border. As we close up on Wolverine's face, he says, Now you got me steamed. And we get a just very dynamic double snicked in the white space next to that panel. So it's like, it's like a vertical, I said horizontal earlier, I meant four vertical panels, and really three. Because the fourth one is, is white space with two just huge snicks vertically down. Um, it's a fantastic page. It looks really, really good. Um, and then the last page of Wolverine growling as he sits on top of the destroyed robot and then we go to Jubilee in the hospital um, says you took the beating but I'm in the hospital and Wolverine smiles talks about his healing factor um, says hope you get better real quick too it's a really it's a really sweet story I mean it plays on the Wolverine Jubilee relationship which I love um, the art's fantastic it's a fun little story I mean it, by all definition, a kind of a throwaway story. I mean, it's only, what, one, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven, eight pages. Um, and a lot of it's fighty fight, you know, with them in the danger room. So there's not a whole lot of like meat or substance, which is really nice. It's a really fun story. Probably, probably the best thing we're gonna talk about tonight. So maybe I should have saved it for last. But um, yeah, I would give this uh five out of six claws. I mean, the art, I mean, the art is what gives it the really. I mean, a different artist in this the story might have been thrown away, but the Sam Keith, Sam Keith art is so beautiful. Um. You know, not that we're really going to go into depth, but the rest of the book has a Spider-Man story by the same uh, Tony Isabella and Alan Cooperberg, and it looks pretty nice. Um, you know, it's him fighting the eel, um, so, you know, whatever. And then there's a Silver Surfer story, which I, I've been really getting, getting into 90 Silver Surfer, and really that whole volume that's going on right now, you know, they've just finished uh, Infinity Gauntlet, um, I couldn't even finish this one. It's not good. Uh, he's fighting some bikini barbarian in space, or fighting with or protecting. I don't even know. And there's also a Ghost Rider story, which was not bad. Uh, there's this bad guy. He's a really bad guy. His name is, um, oh gosh. Um, Devil Grip. He's a big guy with a red beard and some kind of SMM mask going on, and he he has really strong hands. Devil Grip. And Ghost Rider fights him. A kid witnesses crime, and he's going to kill the kid, but he chases him into the cemetery where um, Ghost Rider is visiting his sister, and so, of course, he protects the kid and takes him home. Um, That's fine, whatever. So, anyway, those are those stories. I don't... That's not why I got this. <laughs> so, pretty inconsequential. Nothing really to, to write home about in any of those. Um, Alright, so next up we're going to move into Marvel Comics Presents. We're going to do 93 through 98, which is a Wild Frontier, parts 1 through 6. Um, part 1, Lost Horizons. Uh, these are going to be written by Timothy Truman. Art by Todd Fox. And it's the 90s, so he has two X's. Uh, inked by Gary Quapsitz. Letter by Mike Heisler. And colors by Tom Smith. Um, now, this cover is by Todd Fox on this side. On the other side, we have Sam Keith with the Ghost Rider cable cover. And I don't know why. Because Sam Keith has been doing the Wolverine covers... And he's going to do the rest of this story. I don't know why they gave him a break so that we could get um, Vampire Pirate Wolverine on the cover of 93 by Mr. Fox, which this cover is probably his worst art. Of, I mean, usually like artists are better. Like, they do their best work on the cover, and sometimes the interiors don't quite live up. Um, this is not a good cover, I don't think. At least it doesn't look like Wolverine at all. Maybe it'd be okay if it was supposed to be somebody else. Um, but yeah, um, so in this one, Logan is in the eastern Rockies on the U.S.-Canadian border hiking around. He sees a um, construction site and gets hassled by the developer, so he hassles him right back, namely by popping his claws, cutting off their clothes, and tying them upside down to a tree and filling their face with cigar smoke. 
He ponders his age and how long he's been coming here. That night as he sleeps, he dreams slash remembers his time as a turn-of-the-century mountain man. So the art is not bad. It looks really hokey, the first page, which is kind of a turn-off. And Wolverine's just he's kind of hiking around. He's got his little mountain socks on. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, he just kind of has a do 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 Faces he kind of hiking through the mountains, um, you know, and he fights the the construction guys. You get a snicked as he, and kind of a Looney Tunes like he gets a snicked. What what shit? Lots of sound effects as the bird flies off. Then we switch and we see you know, the the guys and their their undies hanging upside down from the tree, and he's Wolverine's looking through the wall and lighting a cigar and. I mean, it's funny, you know, in a cartoony kind of way. I, you know, it reminds me of Edward Scissor's hands, right? Where he's like, and like stuff's flying around, and he's just very delicately, intricately cutting with these huge blades. And, um, and I'm not sure Wolverine's claws are really made for that for fast um, surgery that would cut shirts and pants without cutting people. But whatever, it's kind of funny, I guess. Um, yeah, and then he, he contemplates on how old he is. Um, and and we think he has a dream as he's looking at nature and falls asleep and wakes up in the snow. And um, we get a panel that I know Pat loves. I think I've seen him post it several times. And it's this one, this full-page splash, like a pinup almost, of, of Wolverine as a frontier Canadian mountain man. And he's got, like, the big, long musket rifle and... Um, you know, the moccasins and the chaps and, you know, the big fur coat and the and the hat. And he's got the little, little, uh, uh, gunpowder, uh, horn thing. Um, and then two big knives, which are kind of double as his claws, uh, because, you know, his claws weren't encased in adamantium yet in this story. Um, so we know we're gearing up for a flashback. Um, well, we've seen how that kind of plays out. He's also got some fingerless hobo gloves on, which I thought was fun. But I'll try to find a, a print of this and, and put it on Twitter at some point after the episode comes up. But, but Pat, this one's for you. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, the Ghost Rider cable story keeps going on. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'll, I'll wait and rate this at the end. Um, that's going to take us to 94. Which had we're back to Sam Keith on the cover. Uh, just real quick, the Ghost Rider cover on the back and or front looks really great. It's a yelling, flaming skull and looks awesome. Uh, our Wolverine cover is a green background and Wolverine tugging at some kind of blanket, and he's in the same kind of Native American mountain man outfit. But of course, it's all Sam Keith unraveled. And then Wolverine crazy ass hair, um, you know, reaching for the heavens. <laughs> so I believe the credits are exactly the same. Let me check real fast. Yeah, no changes at all on the credits. Um, this is Wild Frontier Part Two: The Backbone of God, referring to a mountain in that range there. Um, so yeah, so fur trader Logan saves a Blackfoot youth from a demon bear, not that one, uh, before being impaled on a tree. 
Uh, later, some woodsmen try to scalp Logan and the boy, but of course Logan wakes up and stabs one with a knife. And the boy, blind from the bear attack, takes out the other. Then they both collapse. Um, do you think it's funny? So these chaps that Wolverine's wearing are assless chaps. Um, we see Kevin Costner dancing with a wolf style, kind of on the side, and sometimes the back of his hairy little butt cheek. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's uh, full decked out. Uh, he does fight the bear. Uh, he talks about knives, about using knives as these blades as the weapons. Obviously, they're, they're a stand-in for his claws as he slices and dices uh, this demon bear. Um, kind of goes berserk. Uh, we know it's a demon bear because it cuts it open, and these demon forms come out of his chest. Um, yeah, and Wolverine gets impaled on a tree. Um, you know, it's interesting, the interaction with the mountain men, um, because they're like, what's this Canadian doing down here? We're going to scalp him the way these, these Indians scalp us, and of course Wolverine's having none of that. And, uh, as they collapse, they're come upon by some Blackfoot tribesmen, who are probably out looking for the boy, I'm assuming, um, and they find Logan as well. So that's going to be that chapter. Um, you know, the art is okay so far, it's fine, um... Yeah, that's part two. Uh, part three, number 95. Maybe one of my favorite covers of this little story arc. Uh, we have a cool blue background and a greenish silvery moon. And Wolverine in the snow from the waist up is back turned to us, looking over his shoulder back towards us with his hair climbing into the sky and the moon and then kind of in the clouds, like a very hazy silhouette of a, of a Blackfoot tribesman. Um, it's a really striking cover. It's a really cool cover. And, you know, the back is Cable and Ghost Rider by Sam Keith as well. Um, yep, no changes to the credits. This is part three, Tribal Instinct. Um, basically, in this one, Logan takes time healing with the Blackfoot tribe and falls for not Silver Fox. Her VF boyfriend gets mad and the demon returns in a dead horse. Um, so kind of the setup of, of Wolverine's life with the tribesmen. Definitely, and we'll find out, I think, next chapter why, or maybe in a couple of chapters, but uh, the, the woman here is definitely intentionally reminiscent of Silver Fox, but is, is definitely not Silver Fox. Um, and Wolverine kind of says, you know, maybe he's healing a little slow because of of his affinity for his nurse, he says. Um, probably the coolest part about this chapter, I thought, is we get a Native American, they, they make a, like a suit, like a, um, a jacket for him, and it's got some fur stripes sewn into it, and it's extremely reminiscent of the Wolverine costume, um, especially the first one, with kind of the tiger stripes on the ribs and on the shoulder, and so there's little fur patches that make, like, the stripes, and he's got the, you know, obviously the, the yellow leathery color of, um, his normal suit, and then the stripes are, are dark. It, it looks, uh, it's, it's interesting, right? It's almost like if there was an alternate reality where Wolverine was a Native American warrior, this would have been his costume design. So it's, it's a cool nod. Um, and I like the fact that he has kind of a, a Native American version of his costume. Uh, the fight with the uh, the spurned 
uh, sooner does not look great, but it looks okay. And then we see the horse with the demons like crawling out of it. And oh, we, we that's when we find out that the, the demon is a big worm. Um, what's it called? Unseglia or Unseglia. And you know, it's going to bring about, of course, the end of the world. Um, I will say, Fox's art when he's doing the demon stuff is probably a little bit better than some of his human stuff. Especially his facial expressions can get a little, like, cheesy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will talk about more about that in a second, I guess. But that's that chapter. So 96 is going to be part four of Wild Frontier, Danger in the Hills. Um, this cover we have... This is, this is a very Sam Keith cover. It reminds me of the Max a lot. We have kind of almost a pot-bellied wolverine on a very slanted hill of green grass. Or maybe, no, because if you turn it straight, he's bending too far backwards. So I think he's definitely on a slanted hill. And we have some Native Americans charging up the hill, but then also jumping down on top of him. And then the yellow sky. It's classic, quintessential Sam Keith. Um, and very much reminds me of the Max. Um, so 96, uh, the demon turns into a giant worm and attacks the village, eating not Silver Fox and pissing Logan right off. Um, yeah, so, you know, maybe some artistic highlights on this one. The worm looks gnarly. Um, probably the best art in this book is the, is the demon stuff. It's kind of cheesy. There's a big worm of, like, almost human teeth. <laughs> human monster teeth. Um, and he makes some almost muppety faces, but it's still interesting in a way. Um, I can't help but wonder had Sam Keith done this story instead, how much more I would like it. But, um, yeah, Wolverine's, he's gonna go after the worm. Um, he's gonna go get it. So, that's gonna take us to 97, which may also be my favorite cover. <laughs> Um, by Sam Keith. Um, it's a split cover with a close-up of the face. The so one side is Logan with some face paint, and the other side is like a horse, antelope, mountain goat, some kind of hoofed animal skull. And it's got some Indian, as our Native American feathers coming out of it, and the same symmetrical face paint to match Logan. Um, it's a really cool cover, I got to say. It looks really, really good. Uh, the color work is also extremely nice. Um, this is part five of six of Wild Frontier Blind Fury. Again, all the credits are the same. And this issue, the stripes and fringe on his suit are actually blue, so he's gone full yellow and blue now um, on the costume. And he's got some beads and stuff uh, sewn into it. So it's very much just a Native American version of his costume. Not only that, but his face paint kind of mimics his, the cows, I'm sorry, the fins on his cow. Um, the art here, taking a step down a little bit, maybe towards the end he ran out of time, Mr. Fox. I would love to see someone else draw this. Maybe anybody else. Um, but the design work is cool. And this doesn't look that great in execution, I, I don't think. Maybe I'm being harsh. I don't know what I mean to be, if I am, but... Just my opinion. Um, yeah, so Logan and the blind boy uh, track the demon to her cave 
while they argue about who should attack the demon, the worm wakes up. So the idea here is that the uh, the the tribe elder, you know, when when Logan gets mad about not Silver Fox getting eaten, and decides you know to swear vengeance and go after the worm, he's like, you have to take the blind boy with you. And Logan's like, why? He's just going to slow me down. And he's like, trust me, he has to go with you. And so he he gives in and takes him, and then they argue. So it turns out. The reason is because if you make eye contact with the demon, it eats your soul or something. Um, and so he's like, you can fight, but I can fight the demon head on because I'm blind. We can't make eye contact. So I have the advantage here. Um, you know, I said the art was kind of a step down. I think it's just it's just the, the people stuff. When we get to the cave... And we fight the worm, and yeah, demon worm, it's a silly thing. He's got like a big toenail for a, a horn out of his head. Um, and it's gross and it's silly, but there's something about it that just looks right. Almost like a modern image book. And the last page of the demon like rearing up to, to snack on Logan and the boy is maybe the best. In, covers aside, obviously the covers... It, far outpace the art on the interiors. But maybe one of the best interior panels of the book, besides the one that I referenced earlier um, that Pat loves so much. Um, yeah. So we also have a, um, a fun uh, bar with no name story. And this one that uh, features... Betrock Zilipair, um, who I always love to see, and he, he does some cool leaping around um, in the bar with no name fight scene. Um, it's fun. It's basically about because the impossible man uh, turns himself into a cheating hand of cards, so they all get mad at each other. Uh, and they all think they're cheating at poker. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's that one. So now, to the final chapter of this story which is going to be Marvel Comics Presents number 98. Wild Frontier, part 6 of 6 is Final Frontier. Space, the Final Frontier. Um, this cover is just rad as hell. Um, so it's obviously like a sunset or sunrise. Um, we have a red sky that bleeds down into yellow. And then a barely just hints of green on the worm and hints of maybe brown on Logan but almost entirely silhouette of Logan stabbing the worm with a big spear or a big stick. And then some rocks and like dry shrubbery also make up the image. It's it's a striking cover. It's really cool. Um, and probably will end up being the episode image. I had to guess. I haven't done it yet, but I think it's a, a strong candidate. Um, so Logan and the blind boy kill the demon worm and her babies. As a reward, the Blackfoot called Logan Skunk Bear, which is a wolverine. Then Logan wakes up. It was all a dream, dot, dot, dot. Or was it? So, we had hints of him saying, wait, this isn't really a memory. This isn't really a memory uh, throughout the story. And, like, him maybe conflating elements to make it feel familiar so maybe that's why the woman looked like Silver Fox that's why his Native American garb looks like his Wolverine costume that's why they call him their word for Wolverine but then he wakes up from his nap um, 
you know, and then walks over to this cave and there's a skeleton of the demon worm. There's like, huh, well, maybe that was real. Or maybe, cause they, they also mentioned dream time a couple of times, so they don't really describe or explain what happens. You're kind of left to figure it out on your own, which is not bad. It may make the story a little bit better. Um, so maybe it was a dream, like a memory, or maybe it was just a dream, and he fought the demon while he was dreaming. So like, almost like hallucinating while he fought, or maybe he really fought it in dream time, which we know is kind of that mystical space, you know, when, when you sleep and you enter the dream world and, and you can do some stuff with your spiritual body. Um, so maybe that whole adventure was in dream time. I, I think any of those probably work okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's the uh, the wild frontier. Um, you know, it's not a bad story. It's it's okay. Um, you know, the art the art was so inconsistent, or or maybe consistently just different. Like there's some parts that are really great. Like some of the demon stuff, even as cheesy as the design was, like it just it looked nasty and cool. But then there's some parts where the people just look terrible and just not good, and it's really kind of hard to figure out how I really felt about the art overall. Um. So at the end, I was a little interested in the story. Uh, maybe the, oh, that was a dream. But then seeing something in real life that says, oh, it wasn't a dream. Probably a little cliche. But it did make the story a little more interesting because it gave it this kind of something to think about. <laughs> because otherwise, it was a just kind of Wolverine fighting a demon um, in the woods. And, you know, whatever, that's fine. It, you know, dialogue-wise and plot point-wise, it was pretty simple and kind of boring. I don't know. Um, in, case you're, in case you haven't listened to me enough to figure out yet, I'm trying to talk myself into a certain rating because I don't really know where I've landed yet. Um, it's somewhere between two or three out of six claws, and I'm not I'm not sure which one is is right. Um, I'm trying to remember if Pat liked the story or just liked that one page. I don't remember. Um, I just wasn't really into it. I was kind of ready for it to be over. There were a couple of things I liked. You know what? I think there's too much in the art that I just didn't enjoy. So I'm gonna, I think I, I think I'm gonna have to go two out of six claws for that one. Oh, but wait. There's more. Marvel Comics Presents also has a Sabretooth story. It's actually a Werewolf by Night story, but, but Sabretooth's in it. Um, this one is Wild at Heart. And it's written by Lynn Kaminsky, with uh, pencils by Clark Hobaker, inks by Mark McKenna, letters by Todd Klein, and colors by Tom Smith, who did the, our uh, Wild Frontier story. So basically in this one, uh, Werewolf, Jack Russell, no really, thank you 70s, um, he goes to the same dive bar as Sabretooth. He saves the girl from him, but gets shot by the human, I'm sorry, gets shot by the townies for his trouble. Um, 
that's pretty much the gist of it. And the art's okay. Uh, the colors seem off. Like stuff just seems maybe miscolored, or they tried to do something like stylish, but it didn't really work. Uh, like you know, ooh, that's trippy, but it doesn't really work right. Like there's a scene where maybe Sabretooth's nails are bloody, but it just looks like he painted his nails, which is fine if he wants to. Um, it's kind of an odd choice. Um, you know, I've been reading the first version of Werewolf by Night, which was kind of okay and then kind of sucked and then got really good when Marv Wolfman came on. Um, and Mike Puig as the artist. I've read a little bit, just a couple of stories of Jack Russell kind of trying to get back to relevance in the 90s and have not really enjoyed much of any of it. Um, in fact, there was a previous uh, MCP story with him, which I guess turned out where he can now change back and forth at will. Doesn't need full moon or anything. Um, he's just a, a wolf guy. He's never werewolf, you know, according to the lore. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't really care one way or the other. Um, but yeah, Sabretooth in this one steals the show. Uh, he's just a, he's just fun, nasty Sabretooth. He's at the bar, he's drinking the beer. He smiles at Jack. He walks out with the girl and kind of licks his canine to Jack. Like, hey, I'm going to mutilate this poor girl. And kind of shocks him. Um, you know, the girl is obviously a little bit drunk. She's screaming. When Jack Russell finds her, Sabretooth is playing tic-tac-toe on her cheek with his claw, which is just incredibly cruel. But, I don't know. It's kind of funny in a Sabretooth kind of way. Um... Probably shouldn't be, but it's like that's just that's how nasty and gross Sabretooth is, and it fits the character, especially Sabretooth at this point, right? Um, you know, in the early late 80s, early 90s, he's just a, a nasty, mean son of a bitch and is incredibly misogynistic. And so, the fact that he is kind of abusing this girl before he, you know, probably is intending to murder her, I'm assuming. Um, when Jack Russell shows up, he goes into half-wolf form, which basically just makes Sabretooth attack him. Then he goes full wolf, and they fight. And the fight's okay. It looks okay. Um, and then the people show up, and they shoot um, Jack, because they see a werewolf attacking a guy, and Sabretooth, of course, is a mutant. And he's feral, but in this scenario, he's the most human-looking, so they, they assume he's a good guy. And it ends up with him saying, you never know where monsters are going to show up. And then uh, Jack Russell gets back on his motorcycle and rides off into the night. Um, it's not that good of a story, really, as far as like plot and stuff. But Sabretooth is just fun in the worst, nastiest way possible. <laughs> um, and so I think overall I'll give it three out of six claws. Um do want to maybe worth pointing out there is the other cover is Ghost Rider pitch black with his flaming skull by Sam Keith covered with little demons that very much remind me of Izzes from Max. Uh, they're little despites or despites um, which are little mini despair demons. The story wasn't that interesting. I think it's going to lead into 99 which I think dovetail... Uh, spoilers a little bit on a spoilery podcast. Um, so, hopefully, all goes according to plan. Uh, you know, John will be back to talk with us 
about 99 going into issue 100. And if I remember, I've not looked all the way ahead yet this time, but 100 brings the Ghost Rider and Wolverine stories together in a way. And so I think this first chapter is pertinent to that to a degree. Um, possibly. I'm not exactly sure about that. But, but I think 99 can, sets up Ghost Rider to go into 100 where he and Wolverine kind of get back together. Um, anyway, there's also a really kind of sweet gladiator story, like the Daredevil bad guy. And then, um, and what's the other one? Oh, the werewolf. Yeah. Duh. So, yeah. Um, that's Marvel Comics Presents. Those are those stories. So, moving right along, uh, we're going to talk about a comic that I didn't think I'd ever talk about on this show. And that I've never read. This is my first issue to read of this comic ever. And we're going to talk about Quasar number 28. When I was a kid, when Jason was a wee lad, um, he thought Quasar looked dumb as hell. And I'm not going to say this entirely changed my mind, but um, yeah, we'll see. So, Quasar number eight, The Cosmic Avenger. Uh, this is Mating Dance, written by Mark Gruenwald. Um, art by a very early Greg Capullo. Uh, inks by Harry Candelario. Letters by Janice Chang. Colors by Joe Rosas. And the cover is also by Greg Capullo. And we have who will her or who will be her mate. And we have a blonde with a red cape to with her back to, towards us. Decision, decisions, decisions. And she is faced by a group of suitors. Uh, Hyperion, skinny Captain America, bearded not Thor, um, sexy Namor, Wonder Man, Captain Britain, somebody, somebody else, Doc Samson, Hercules, I, uh, Quasar, and Colossus. Um, and Quasar's in the back going, gulp? <laughs> like, he's not sure about this. So, um, yeah, so her is basically the female counterpart to him, who of course becomes Adam Warlock. Um, so we start off, her rejected by her male counterpart, Adam Warlock, is on a mission to find suitable mates, plural. Uh, she rejects the X-Men, including Wolverine, there you go, uh, because mutant genetics are too unstable. But she does plant a mini cocoon on Wonder Man's back. She can't do magicians either, so that counts out Doctor Strange and company. Or Thor, because he's been enchanted, so she can't break through the enchantment. Uh, but she gets Hercules uh, after at Avengers Mansion. So after Quasar observes the cocoon, he's like, oh, this is weird, and he pursues her. Um, after trapping her, she decides that even though... She originally rejected him because his powers come from his Q-bands and not from his genetic makeup. Then maybe she can make an exception because he's really crafty. Um, so he's worthy of her courtship after all. And so we find out what she means by wanting to mate. She basically wants to plant these cocoons which will kind of suck out genetic material 
And they're basically be like little mini cocoons like the Adam Warlock cocoons. And I'm guessing she probably came from one too. This is the first time I've read her. Um, I'm sure Al from the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast can answer that for me. Um, I'll bring him up again in a second for an important reason. Well, not that that's not important. Sorry, Sorry Al. That's not what I meant. You know that. Um, you know what? I was not really looking forward to reading this, and I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really... So I didn't like from the beginning. So I guess I forgot or didn't know that Quasar is basically just Marvel Green Lantern. Um, he uses the Q-bands to like make shapes. Like In the first panel, he's... Uh, He's using, making a quantum energy light, like, uh, saw, and he's sawing some, some wood planks. Um, so in the 90s dialogue in the first few pages drove me nuts. Like, Quasar and his roommate talking, I can never read that again, it'd be fine. But the stuff with her, I thought was really kind of quirky in a good way and interesting. And there's also kind of this weird thing where Moondragon is like, obsessed with Quasar, she, she gets really jealous of her and cuts in at the end to for some, some conflict that we, we don't get to see. Um, you know, seeing Capullo do an early Wolverine early in his career was nice. Um, the X-Men kind of spring into action as her floats above the mansion. Um, I don't really like that Wolverine says, identify yourself, toots. You can tell that maybe Gruenwald doesn't really like Wolverine that much. Or, or maybe, I don't know. I just, you know, Wolverine being kind of gruff and tough is one thing. Him being overtly sexist, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, don't, nece- don't necessarily think it fits him to that degree. But I know he said some questionable things in the 70s, but we're not in the 70s anymore. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I just, I really, I thought it was a really fun story. Um, you know, f- her floating, flirting with Hercules um, was fun. Captain America kind of being like, um, you don't know about this. And, you know, and Quasar saying, you can't just plant cocoons on people. And she's like, oh, why not? I need their genes. Um, it's just, it kind of reminded me kind of some parallels to, to the some of the early Adam Warlock stories uh, like when he tries to basically steal Sif from Thor um, <laughs> and just says you know hey I I deserve her I can just take her and her kind of with the same like hey I can just plant my cocoon and get these things and it'll be fine um, and, and the art overall I mean it's definitely it doesn't look a whole lot like I would expect Kapoor to look, but there's definitely flashes, but it's still good. Like, it's not, like, legend that he'll become, but it's still pretty good. Um, you know, Greenwald is a very capable writer, uh, obviously. Like, I've been really enjoying his calf run um, in the 90s. Um, so, um, you know you know what really surprised me more than anything before I graded this? is that I, I kind of want to see what happens in 29. Unfortunately, I went to Marvel Unlimited, and there's not that many issues of Quasar there. Uh, a couple at the front, which I tried to read, but they kind of solidified that maybe I, this isn't 
maybe the series gets better and so maybe why I remember not liking it is because I actually still don't really like the, the launch of it so much um, but this issue is really good and but unfortunately tw 29 is not on Marvel Unlimited and it skips to uh, the Galactic Storm issues um, so I don't know I'm kind of hoping Al I don't remember if you said you would be covering her stories on your podcast or not I kind of hope you do, so if I can make a plug or a request, um, it'd be cool to, to cover these issues so I can hear what happens in 29 and hear you talk about it, because I'm kind of bummed I'm not going to get to read it anytime soon. Uh, now, if I can find it, like for 50 cents, maybe after comic shops open back up, maybe I'll go looking for it. Uh, I'll check it out, but um, yeah, there you go. So, Quasar number 28, I'm going to give four out of six claws, and it's a pretty hearty four out of six. Like, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. Um, yeah. Okay, well, next up, another kind of surprise. Um, I'm going to cover the back half of a Deathlock story. Uh, so Deathlocks, sorry, Deathlock issues four and five, which is the Souls of Cyberfolk part three and four. Now, I was able to read these on Marvel Unlimited. I forgot there was a miniseries. I meant to read that first. I will go back and read it at some point. I did pick up this whole series. I really struggle with issue number one. Um, I like the art, but there's so many words, and not in a good Chris Claremont kind of way, like in a why are there so many words in this, in this like an exercise issue. So there's even more so many words. I just I had I had a hard time getting through it to be honest. Um, issue number two almost immediately turns that around, um, and you know we get a recap in three. So I I'm sorry in four of issues two and three, both of which I enjoyed, but I won't spend a lot of time talking about because we'll 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 catch up pretty quick here in number four. So issue number four again is the Souls of Cyber Folk, part three of four. Um, it's going to be written by Dwayne McDuffie, uh, penciled by Dennis Cohen, inked by Mike Manley, colors by Gregory Wright, letters by Ken Lopez, and the cover here is by uh, Dennis Cohen as well. And on the cover, we, it says Brain Drain in, um, I don't know what you'd call that old digital font. Like, it looks like the old alarm clocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's got that it's a very abstract cover like uh, black space and, like these green floating squares and Deathlock trying to climb out of one and this weird almost insectoid robot pulling him by his mouth with this like robot octopus arm um, it's a creepy cover and it's pretty effective it looks pretty nice um, alright so Deathlock number 4 um Mecha Doom is a Doom bot who wanted to create other Doom bots with free will. So the idea is that the Doom bots can make some assertions and choices, but they're modeled after Doctor Doom. They're they're created to believe they're Doctor Doom until they're around the real Doctor Doom, in which case they just serve him. And Doom Mecha Doom found a way to break free of his programming, but not the the setting that would turn him back into a Doom bot in Doctor Doom's presence. And I guess he's either... They never really clarify if he's scared that Doctor Doom is, like, looking for him. 
so like he's just or he's just afraid he's going to run into him at the food court at the mall i'm not I'm not sure but he's really really worried about wanting to change this aspect so he can have complete free will and he hasn't been able to so instead he, he's working on a factory of his own doom bots who don't have that protocol so they can just have completely free will um, even if doom comes around um, unfortunately he's not having much success um, so he's been collecting successful AIs uh, to try and replicate, um, which includes like Machine Man, Ultron, uh, Forge, um, who else? I forgot. I didn't write it down. Shoot. Hold on. Um, I think I said Machine Man already. Um, he had gone after Misty Knight, but Deathlock saved her. Or no, she escaped and then she found Deathlock. Um, and of course, Deathlock is also a cyber, a cyborg of interest. Um, shoot, so not a picture of this particular issue of everyone that was captured. I guess not. If I come across it in the next issue, I'll I'll revisit that list. Um, but anyway, uh, different robots and cyborgs that the Mechadoom has been collecting to try to to basically take apart and research. Um. He, he unsuccessfully tries to override Deathlock's program because Deathlock has come looking for him. Um, but then the cavalry shows up, including Wolverine, to rescue Forge um, and some of the other captives of, of interest to, to the rescue party. The rescue party is, is made up of... Um, shoot. Mr. Fantastic, Thing, Storm, Wolverine, Misty Knight... Jubilee, Invisible Woman, uh, Vision, and Human Torch. So the whole Fantastic Four, a few X-Men, and Misty Knight in the Vision. Um, it is really cool when when they show up, because basically Mecha Doom's trying to take Deathlock apart, and he hears this noise, and he turns to this wall, this, this steel-plated wall, and you get a snicked, and three claws pop through, and they scritch down through the wall and the thing busted open and our, our team, our rescue squad comes through, led by Wolverine and the thing, and it's, it's a pretty nice panel of Wolverine oh okay, it does happen on panels so Mechadoom then blows them up which I missed when I read and I thought he was just looking at them in the monitor, but he does blow them up. So, so in the beginning notes on my next issue may not make sense. Then we get a really nice last splash page of Deathlock and his Uzi as he's gotten off the operating table and is ready for revenge. Um, so this book looks pretty nice. Um, the art is is cool. It's it's kind of sketchy and simplistic, but in combination with the colors, the style works really well. Um, so, the story, I am going to grade these differently. I know I, sometimes when we do the whole stories, I'll wait and grade at the end, but these are going to be a little bit different. So, this is part three of four, otherwise known in comics as the exposition chapter. <laughs> we get a lot of Mechadoom explaining who he is and what he's doing with, with some words. Um, so, it was much less enjoyable than chapter one and two. And I think, well, spoiler, it's going to be less enjoyable than Chapter 4 as well. I'm still going to give it a pretty strong 3 out of 6 claws. I guess it's slightly above average. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think the story overall is is better than a three, but this issue is is definitely like, oh, okay, let's slow down, let's tap the brakes and do some explaining, um, and which is you know unfortunate. But the last couple of pages are promising. Uh, rescue squad shows up. Deathlock looks great, um, and we're ready for a fight, which is going to take us into issue number five, the Souls of Cyberfolk, part four of four. This is the uh, Deus Ex Machina. Um, it's like all the credits are the same, except for the cover this time, instead of by Cohen, is by Mike Manley, which is unfortunate. I like Mike Manley. Um, he's been doing some decent art on Darkhawk around the same time, and will also do some stuff on Punisher later that is not bad. Um, this cover is not that good. Um, it does have Wolverine on the cover. Um, it basically has Deathlock on some rubble, and he is flanked by Wolverine and Misty Knight. Right behind him are the Thing and Mr. Fantastic, and then flying in the back are Storm and Human Torch. Uh, Jubilee did not make the cover. Uh, so that's unfortunate, I guess. Um, anyways, it's an okay cover. Um, so, um, remember that, um, you know, in between issues, oh, so that's why I thought, I thought that he blew them up in between issues. We come, we open up this page and everybody's blown up. Um, but yeah, so they're all blown up. But uh, fortunately, Sue Storm is awesome. And she not only turned the heroes invisible at the last second, but protected them from the explosion with the force field. So Mechadoom believes they're all dead. But of course, his robots have heat sensors and things like that. Um, and so they are surrounded by Doombots, unfortunately. Um, by the way, Thing and Wolverine are awesome together. We get a panel with back-to-back -back clobbering time of Snick that is amazing. Um, so our heroes are, are not out in the thick of it just yet as they have to fight the Doombots. There's a lot of great fighting between our heroes and Doombots and also between Deathlock and Mecha Doom. Several pages of just great-looking battle. Um, Deathlock is able to isolate and destroy Mecha Doom's main power source giving him the advantage, and he basically negotiates with Mecha Doom to call off the, the combat. So basically, everyone is fighting, and the Doombot suddenly kind of shut down and just stand there. Um, he also convinces Mecha Doom to repair and release his cybernetic captives. Uh, the other heroes are a little less forgiving when it comes to deciding and determining what to do um, with Mecha Doom, like determining his fate. They're like, um... He probably deserves to be destroyed, they all kind of think. Especially some of the guys that just got released. Didn't really enjoy being um, torn apart. Um, you know, he, he decides after talking to Deathlock that, you know what, maybe I can be a resource um, for all cybernetic beings. I can have this underwater, like, robo-central factory. Like, maybe I can monitor stuff. I'll, Almost like, I don't I don't think Oracle, Batgirl Oracle was a thing yet, but almost that idea of like a central brain kind of like um, network for, for other cybernetic heroes. Unfortunately, Ultron is really offended and he destroys Mecha Doom before escaping. Just blasts him right in the back and then disappears, runs off. Um... That's kind of sad. Uh, later, Deathlock and Misty also kind of wrap up with uh, Deathlock finding some solace from the mission. Like, I guess kind of 
maybe came to some peace with it. It's okay, because the whole part, beginning part of the story, like he writes in this diary, like this digital diary that he's making for his wife, and talking about how he's doing everything he can. He knows his body is out there somewhere. So this is not... I haven't read enough of this to know exactly where we are currently. I remember Deathlock originally was like this criminal who was basically eviscerated and bonded with cybernetics. And I think that guy died. And then I think this guy had his consciousness downloaded when he kind of stumbled across the experiments into the Deathlock body. So his body is not the human part of Deathlock. His body is somewhere else. And he feels like it's still exists and is out there. He's on a mission to find it and regain his humanity so that he can go back to his wife and kid, which is a very harrowing, you know, as, as a father and husband. Uh, like, okay, I get it, right? Like, that's a, that's potentially powerful storytelling if done right. And I think for the most part, it is. I mean, the computer talk with the internal computer of Deathlock Cybernetics can get a little old. Uh, it's 90s kind of cyborg computer talk, which is like, okay, sometimes you want to roll your eyes at it. But it's not as... Like, that. that's part of what also really bugged me about Deathlock number one, was there was so much of that. Um, here, there's still a lot. I mean, it's still the dynamic of the character, but it's less abrasive. I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is or how really to describe it. But it didn't bother me in this story. Even in issue four, with all the exposition, it didn't bother me that much. Um, the art looks really good. The story is really nice. Um, it's kind of sad, like what happens at the end to Mecha Doom, and also, you know, Deathlock kind of coming to terms. With, okay, he's still on his mission, but maybe he can handle, you know, his situation a little bit better now. He's he has a community of other people with cybernetic stuff. Um, and I tell you what, these fight scenes are great. They really are. Um, Cohen's thing looks amazing. And his Wolverine's not bad either. Um, and the part where... This is a great page. They're surrounded by Doombots. And um, thing, we get a close-up of Thing. So there's this page. The top half of the page is one big panel of their heroes surrounded by Doombots. Like in the, literally in a circle. Um, then the, the bottom two panels are in half. So the bottom half of the page is two panels, and one of them is a close-up on Thing literally putting his dukes up, going, Heads up, heroes, that's clobbering time! And then we get a close-up on Wolverine's face and hand as he pops his claws with a snick and says, I like the sound of that. The only thing missing is the bub, and this is a perfect page. And it looks great, it writes great. Um, yeah, the, the fighting is, is really... I mean, it's all fight. And that takes a lot of pages. And, and Wolverine gets to cut up some Doombots, and that's great. It just, it just it looks really good. It just it works. This style works for this book. I was very pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this. In fact, I'm going to give Deathwalk number 5, 5 out of 6 claws. Um, nice use of Wolverine. Um... You know, he does some stuff, he, he sounds like Wolverine, he looks good, and wow, I am shocked at how much I enjoyed Quasar and Deathlock, because I would not have counted myself fans of either of those. Oh, you, you know, not Quasar was kind of lame, thought Deathlock was kind of boring, and I'm, at least in these issues that I read tonight, or not read tonight, but I'm talking about tonight, um... I was wrong.
I, I am, am man enough to admit it. I was wrong. Um, so some pretty good comics there. All right. Now we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, you know, that Quasar story, the Deathlock story, the Marvel comics, that was loosely around the time of the other issues we've been covering. Now we're going to skip to the end of the year for the Marvel Holiday Special uh, issue number one, um, which is a compilation book, obviously, with lots of, of holiday-themed stories, um, some of which are better than others. But we have a wraparound Art Adams cover, which is basically a bunch of heroes chasing Santa Claus and Captain America with S.H.I.E.L.D. Akimbo behind him. I don't know if he's that word right. Um, and he's pointing at Santa Claus and says, Stop that bearded man! And Wolverine's right in front of him and says, Yeah, no one gives me a lump of coal and lives, bub. And he's got his claws out and, and our other heroes are chasing after Santa. And Santa's running away. Um, it's a fun cover. It's a nice cover. I mean, it's, come on, it's Art Adams. Um, looks pretty good. Very reminiscent of some of the covers he was doing around this time. So, a plain white background with lots of characters and poses, but but it looks good. <laughs> so, um, our X-Men story is a flashback story. It goes back to when the giant-sized team first assembled. Um, so this is a miracle few blocks down from 32nd Street by Scott Lobdell, Dave Cockrum, and Joe Rubenstein. Um, and also Roxanne Starr doing the letters and Patty Cockrum doing the colors. Huh, I didn't know. I'm assuming that's Dave Cockrum's wife. So I guess, you know, colorist and marriages at Marvel go together. Or I'm making a really bad assumption and I'm an idiot, which is obviously very possible. Um... Alright, so this X-Men story. Uh, the new X-Men from Giant Size are at the mansion, decorated for Christmas, except Scrooge McWolverine, um, when Cerebro IDs a very powerful mutant. They go to a vested gate, but the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are also on the case, looking to recruit a, the mutant as well. Classic X-Men setup, uh, more from the 60s, but it works, right? Um, they fight until the Mall Santa, pss, the powerful mutant, which made me ask a question, because we, we've had historical, powerful, magical figures in the Marvel Universe be mutants before. So, is real Marvel Santa canonically a mutant? <laughs> like, is, in the Marvel Universe, is Santa Claus, the real Santa, a mutant? And is this him? I'm not sure. But, um, anyway, um, the, the, the mutant Santa turns the Brotherhood into act, literal action figures, then sends the X-Men, not home, but to where they were supposed to go later that night, which was to meet Scott and Jean at Rockefeller Center, which is, of course, the big Christmas story where they um, uh, fight the Sentinels. Which, Sorry, I paused because something doesn't quite... So they act like this is like almost... Like these are brand new X-Men almost immediately after Giant Size. But then aren't there several issues before Jane comes back and gets Phoenix powers and... I don't know. Does she talk about it here? You know, I think that's another story. Sorry, I don't think there's any mention of the Phoenix in this one. 
I am, I'm confusing myself unnecessarily because I read too many comics. Um, but yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of classic Cockrum. This doesn't feel like classic Cockrum. This feels not very great. Also, they misspelled Snick, which bothers me. They <laughs> put a C in it. Um, the story was, I don't know. I, so th this comic in general... Oh, well, except for he says Bah Humbug Bub, which is pretty great. And Wolverine, he's like, uh, I got as much use for Christmas as... as I, have I have even less use for Christmas than I do for you, Colossus, which is not very nice. Um, so Bah Humbug Bub, he says, um, as Nightcrawler teleports around the tree. Um, I mean, it's fun to see Banshee back in action. It's fun to see the giant size team fight the Brotherhood, I guess. Um, I don't know. I didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. It just seemed like an unnecessary squeezing in of, of a story about a mutant Santa Claus. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think also, to me, some of the other stories in this book for the most part, are kind of like sentimental, holiday, just kind of have fun with the story. I feel like the X-Men in this story, they kind of like try to fit it into like the X-Men framework. Like, oh, we need something mutant to happen. So let's have a, a mutant Santa Claus. Whereas like, you know, the Fantastic Four one, there's kind of some just quirky kind of magical stuff that happens, like in the spirit of Christmas, involving Franklin Richards, um, you know, the Punisher... I guess the Punisher story is more just a straight-up Punisher story. Uh, it's just him fighting some bad guys on uh, at Christmas time in the snow and giving money away. <laughs> um, and so what I'm thinking of is so the Thor story is bas basically like... creates a... Uh, which, by the way, is beautifully drawn by Sabusima. Um... And the Fantastic Four is by Art Adams. Um, but yeah, uh, the uh, the Thor story just kind of sets up like a Norse myth of Santa Claus as Odin, uh, which is fun. And then um, I did want to mention, and, and Grant, if you don't have this or have never read this, let me know. And I'll just I'll take pictures of the pages and, and tweet them to you. Because there's a really cool uh, Captain America story where he basically meets like modern-day Bucky's sister, who doesn't know what happened to him. And she didn't know he was Bucky. So she, he is, she know her brother died in World War II, and it was really, really classified, like, the circumstances of his death. And Captain America runs into her, and, um, basically, you know, comes back to her house later as Captain America and tells her about who her brother was, Bucky, and all that he did. And it's really cool. It's so Captain America, because he comes in, he's really nice, and uh, the woman's with her family, like her grandkid, he, he like, asks him to watch the shield. It's just really, really sweet, and um, has just a really nice heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And as he, gets, as he gets ready to leave, she's like, no. You're not gonna go spend Christmas by yourself after making my Christmas. Um, you're gonna you have family now. It just it's a really it's a short story. Um, 
but it's really, really nice. And really just, I've seen and starting to see Len Kaminsky's name a little bit. I'm not real familiar with his body of work, but he gets Captain America, at least in this story. I guess very true to the character. It's just a really nice holiday story. Um, and then there's a Ghost Rider story where he saves the blind kid, but the, the kid thinks he's Santa Claus because his chains sound like jingle bells, and he rides on his sleigh, finger quote, but the motorcycle. Um, eh, it's fine. And there's a, a Spider-Man story where he goes to the hospital and entertains some kids, but then also has to save them from some robbers. Um, and in the end, even makes J. Jonah Jameson say, you know what, you're not that bad. Um, by the way, that features some early Ron Garney art, which was nice. Um, so, I didn't. Re- <laughs> I think the X-Men story may have been my least favorite of the bunch. Um, so yeah, I would recommend if you see this on the cheap somewhere, pick it up. Because couple- all the stories are okay. Uh, the X-Men was probably my least favorite. The Captain Ultra was maybe... Maybe you like, like that less than the X-Men, but the rest of it was pretty good. Um, okay, well, that's going to take us to Marvel Tales 262. Now, this Marvel Tales featuring Spider-Man at this point is a reprint comic, and this reprints Marvel Team-Up number 53, which I believe was the first time I had John Wilson on the podcast, if I remember correctly. I could be misremembering, but it was Spider-Man, and I had remembered him at that point from Spider-Man Classics, and Amazing Spider-Man Classics, which I loved, and loved him on there, and I've been looking for a reason to get him on, and I think I was like, oh, a Spider-Man comic with Wolverine in it briefly. Um... (laughs) And I, I, I think I had him on. I could be missing this up. I, I may have had Andrew on for this one. Shh, crap. No, I can't remember. But, um, I think I was, I don't remember. Sorry, guys. I talked to one of y'all about this. Um, anyway. It's a story with Wood God. But I guess either to boost the sales or whatever, there's a backup story. Um, there's also a really nice cover by Sam Keith where Hulk looks awesome. Spider-Man's on his back and Wood God's underneath them. And Hulk's got this big old grin on his face. It looks fantastic. And Spider-Man has his web around Hulk's fist trying to keep him straining to keep him from pounding Wood God into the ground. And then, like, vertically down the side of the panel, there's the X-Men and their classic 80s costumes around the time this came out. And so, classic X-Men, remembers reprints X-Men, and has extra stories in the back that correlate or interact with the story you just read. This does the same thing. I don't know if Marvel Tales did that on the regs or not, because um, I don't really have any Marvel Tales. I have a couple that I bought from the McFarlane covers, uh, particularly one with Juggernaut. Um... And I don't know, this Sam Keith, I'm glad I got this, because this cover's rad. Um, but anyway, our backup story, which relates to uh, the Wood God story, um, is, hold on, A Case of Str- Sunstroke, written by Barry Duder, Dutter, art by Vince Evans, Ariane does the colors. Michael Higgins does the letters. Um, 
Sunstruck, I think, is an old either Iron Man or Captain. I've read him recently in my 70s read through. Not particularly enjoyable. Maybe Captain America and Falcon guy. Now that I think about it, I don't remember. I kind of wrote him out of my mind. But anyway, if you remember from that Marvel team-up story, which really doesn't have the X-Men in it at all, they're flying over the desert, and Spider-Man, they give Spider-Man a ride, and then a little hover car, and then they fly off. Well, so turns out, what we didn't know before, that after they dropped off Spider-Man, they get attacked by Sunstroke, who's been pulling planes out of the sky to loot them. But, of course, he bit off more than he could chew with the X-Men, and they kick his butt. Unfortunately, so maybe the best part of this little story is Storm is like, oh, your power comes from the sun? Watch this. Whips up some storm clouds. Great use of her power. Should have ended right there, but no, she gets zatted with a sunbolt and goes unconscious so the clouds go away, and then... Sunstroke is able to use his powers. Wolverine, of course, gets mad. We get a fastball special, but just as he's about, as Colossus is about to throw Wolverine, Sunstroke lights up and blinds Colossus, so he throws Wolverine into a rock wall instead. The rock grabs Wolverine. It's sentient rock. And we find out after the X-Men leave that Sunstroke is friends with these these cactus guy and a Gia monster guy and a rock guy. This story is stupid and the art is not good. I did not like this at all. Um, well, that's funny. In my notes, I gave it two out of six claws. Talking about it again, I kind of want to give it one out of six. Um, I really did not. I, it's kind of like a waste of, of four pages. No, wait. One, two, three, four. Sorry, five pages. The waste of five pages. Um, yeah, I'm going to... One out of six. I didn't care for it. Sorry, guys. All right, so where are we going to end up? got to talk a little bit about the ending here. Um, Marvel UK. And the big question on whether I'm going to cover Wolverine appearances in Marvel UK. Because here's the deal. Not all that stuff is easy, is easy to get a hold of. So I'm going to... Here's, here's what my philosophy is going to be. Because obviously, it's not a matter of content. Right? I have not shied away from covering content anymore. I'm sorry. Not shied away from covering bad content or content I don't like. You know, any more than I've... I've talked about the stuff I really enjoy. You know, this is kind of a completist podcast, for better or worse. And, you know, so so my idea would, would be that I would talk about as much as I can. Now, these UK stories, at least for what I can tell for the most part, are included in the complete Marvel reading order as being in, you know, like the quote-unquote regular timeline. So it's not like alternate stories. Like, they're stories that fit, or at least have potential to fit. Um... In, in universe. So, we have two selections on tonight's episode, today's episode, depending on when you listen. Um, I'm going to be able to talk about one of them and not the other. And that's going to kind of be the, the dictate for how I handle Marvel and UK stuff going forward. Um, when I can find a copy affordably, either digital or physical, then I will 
obtain such coffee and talk about the issues. When I cannot find the coffee either at all or it's cost prohibitive, then I am not going to cover the issues. I think that's pretty practical and makes sense, but just kind of wanted to spell that out. Um, the UK stuff's a little bit different, and so I, I'm I'm a little my my cost threshold for what's affordable is going to be a little lower than it might be for regular issues. So I'll, I will say that. Um, so we have Marvel Superheroes Annual '92, and we also have Uncanny X-Men Annual '92. Now, I was able to pick up Marvel Superheroes Annual on eBay, a physical copy, for like five bucks. I thought that, you know, for a hardback with a lot of pages, I thought that was, you know, not bad. I mean, it's 61 pages, and it's hardbound, and it's oversized. So, eh, five bucks feels pretty reasonable. And the cheapest I could find in the Uncanny X-Men Annual was like $20.00 you know, plus shipping and stuff, and I just wasn't wanting to pony up for that, especially since it's mostly reprint material. And this one is all original, so that also made it a little, felt a little better to spend the $5 than, than on, on a reprint that has, like, a backup story of this original material. And as far as I know, from what I've read, which, by the way, I can find nothing really about this one, um... As far as synopsis-wise, I found some publishing information and a little bit of creative information, but I can find nothing on synopsis. The only thing I can find is that it seems like, and I'm not even going to hang my hat on this, that maybe the original content from the Uncanny X-Men Annual UK has to do with scrolls. Um, that's really as far as I know. Um, but anyway, I am going to talk about the Marvel Superheroes Annual from '92. Because there are some, there is some Wolverine in here. So we have Briggs' Revenge, which is a short little story. Um, the credits aren't actually in the book anywhere. But I was able, and I recognize the art, but I was able to, to, to figure out the rest as well. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, it's written by Anne Nacenti. Uh, pencils by Jim Lee. Inks by Joe Rubenstein. So that was a little interesting because they don't work together a whole lot. Uh, Gregory Wright does the colors, and then Jim Novak does the letters. Um, so basically in this story, uh, Storm is flying carefree through a summer day, but is spotted by another mutant who is seeking help. After she lands, he sees her, and he approaches her, but she very uncharacteristically kind of rudely brushes him off. Um, he gets a little offended and a little kind of grabby and aggressive until a very handsome man hops out of a limo to rescue her with chivalry. And she flirts back with him a little bit before leaving. Uh, feeling rejected, the mutant Briggs sinks, swears revenge, follows her back home. And um, back home, back at Xavier's, uh, the the mutants are doing some yard work X-Men style when Briggs attacks. He forces Storm to choose who he'll disintegrate between Wolverine and Colossus. Storm has a very tormented Sophie's choice but decides, hey, Wolverine's healing factor can probably handle it. She feels like he gives her a little nod, though maybe at the end it seems like maybe he didn't. Um, 
but possibly picking up nonverbal cues, she selects Wolverine to die. Uh, Briggs gets in a good blast, but Wolverine dives away so he doesn't take the full brunt. As Briggs moves in to finish the job, Colossus hits him with a tree, kind of bats him away like a baseball, and Storm uses some wind to blow him farther away. But then almost immediately they're back on top of him, and Colossus grapples with him and holds him up with like, so I guess he can only shoot power from his hands. So he basically takes his hands and holds them both up to his own temples. This Briggs guy. Um, and Wolverine says, I got a choice for you, bub. Either I kill you with my claws, or you blast yourself in the head. Um, the storm interrupts and says, uh, You know what? This is maybe partially my fault. I was really rude to him earlier. He needed help, and I, I didn't help him, and was kind of brushed him off, and, and made him feel bad. So, you know, he, he probably shouldn't try to kill us, but at the same time, you know, maybe we can help him. Um... And then there's a really sad part in the end where, where Storm's like, okay, well, so Wolverine, you know, like, why I chose you, right? And we get an off- Oh, by the way, we get Snicks and Snacks in this issue, which I was very happy to see. Uh, but she's like, um, you know why I chose you, right? I had to. And he's like, yeah, yeah, good choice. Forget it. And he walks off, and they're both in shadow. He says, I'm going to go get a beer. And then Briggs... Even though they're trying to help him now, it's like, ah, I won. I destroyed their friendship. And he gets his evil grin <laughs> at the end. So, um, yeah, I mean, this was, the art's really good. I will say, Storm looks different than typical Jim Lee Storm. I think part of that is Rubenstein's inks. Um, you know, Wolverine very much, like you can tell, okay, that's Jim Lee. I, on the first page, when it's just Storm, like, I wasn't sure entirely it was Jim Lee. Like, the poses look Jim Lee, and the general art do, the general art does, but the face looks like a different face than he normally gives Storm. Um, by the way, this is set back at sometime in the 80s, because uh, they're all in their 80s costumes. Um, so that's that's kind of the timeline. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good story. Um, and the art was great. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it four out of six claws. It's a, it's a, it's a weird, sad ending. Like, the resolution was kind of unhappy, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I don't mind sad endings. Um, yeah, I think four out of six. It's a weaker four, uh, but it's, it's a four. So, anyway... I went a lot longer than I thought I would, so there you go. Extra content for you guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. There was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. There was some in-between stuff. Um, but overall, pretty enjoyable. Uh, next up, everything willing, um, it's Wolverine number 50. Really excited to talk about the Shiva scenario with Mr. John Wilson. Um... And honestly, can't wait. Um, so that'll be coming up hopefully pretty soon. Um, have that that recording sesh on the books. Um, so I'll let, you know, unless you know something happens to make us postpone, you should have that. Uh, yeah, pretty soon. Pretty soon, really. Um, you know, and then after that, like I said, we stay in 
and X-Men Marvel Comics Presents or Wolverine for quite a while, with the exception of um, the Alpha Flight Special Edition, which I think is also a flashback story of early Wolverine Alpha Flight days, which I, I don't know. I've never read it. I've never really heard anybody talk about it. The concept excites me, so we'll see if the issue is any good or not. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. That's going to do it. So, um, you know, for the podcast that goes snicked, of course, Twitter is at snickcast. You can like the Facebook page and um, show notes and stuff, snickcast.podbean.com. So until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Bye-bye.